This is In Focus from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of In Focus brings you in-depth analysis and perspective from a different corner of our global network of experts. Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. I'm Barnaby Fletcher, and this is the first in a regular series of podcasts exploring the impact of COVID-19 on one of the most dynamic, but unfortunately also one of the most vulnerable regions of the world, Sub-Saharan Africa. Today is an introduction, a high-level overview of the key issues that our clients should be aware of when looking at their operations in Africa during the COVID-19 pandemic. To do this, I'll be joined by Vincent Rouget, Control Risk Associate Director in charge of West and Central Africa. The National Coronavirus Command Council has decided to enforce a nationwide lockdown for 21 days with effect from midnight on Thursday, the 26th of March. This is a decisive measure to save lives of South Africans from infection and save the lives of hundreds of thousands of our people. President Cyril Ramaphosa announcing a lockdown, but South Africa is far from the only country to impose such restrictions. As we record this on the 6th of April, there were 5,192 confirmed cases of COVID-19 across 46 countries in sub-Saharan Africa. Only three countries, Comoros, Lesotho, and Sao Tome and Principe, do not yet have any cases. 13 countries have more than 100 cases, led by South Africa, with 1,655. These numbers may seem small compared to other regions around the world, but they are increasing rapidly. Africa has arguably responded quicker and with more far-reaching measures than almost anywhere else in the world. Not a single country in sub-Saharan Africa has not imposed some type of border closure, lockdown, or ban on public activities. Given this, the first and most obvious question to ask is why have African governments moved so quickly, and how effective are their measures likely to be in containing outbreaks of COVID-19? Thanks, Barnaby, and, and thanks everyone for joining in. So COVID-19 hit Africa with a, with a lag and governments have had the benefits of, of hindsight. Um, they have seen that elsewhere those restrictions taken early on can help flatten the curve. Um, those measures, I mean, they also reflect a grimmer reality, right, that, that most African health systems are not prepared to cope with an influx of cases until a few days ago. And, and you know, some of the donations that have been received on the continent from abroad um, there were very few specialized equipments, such as ventilators, for example, um, and there is generally a shortage of trained personnel of uh, funding to support the response. And so by taking those measures earlier on, they're really also playing to their strength, surveillance, contact tracing, um, those as aspects of the health response that several of the countries have significant experience because they've been um, they've had to, to respond to earlier outbreaks of diseases. I'm thinking Ebola, for example, in West Africa a few years ago. We are still concerned, though, that April could see a, a rapid increase in the number of cases, mainly because enforcing those lockdowns, those travel restrictions is hard in places that are crowded, densely crowded, where social distancing is not really an option. Um, in places where a lot of people live hand to mouth, 
um, and where too many people are reliant on daily income to be even able to stay at home, for example. So interestingly, Google Maps a few days ago released data, anonymized data that they have collected from Android phone users worldwide um, to try to track um, the drop in movements of people around cities around the world. And when you compare to the drop in movements in Europe, for example, where we have seen drops of around 90%, in most African countries, we, we've, we have seen reduction of, of movements, but only by 30 or 40%. So that already gives you an indication that, that those lockdowns or those curfews, when they are enforced, are, are only partially effective. So it sounds like African governments have moved very quickly and impressively quickly to try and prevent an outbreak starting in the first place. But unfortunately, so many countries now have confirmed cases and most of those countries now have confirmed cases of local transmission. And given that, the, the, given the challenges in introducing and enforcing social distancing measures, this could spread quite quickly. So Africa is particularly vulnerable to COVID-19 from a health standpoint, but it's also, of course, economically and fiscally vulnerable. Government restrictions you know, are disrupting the domestic economy. Low global commodity prices will hit resource-dependent economies. And many governments in sub-Saharan Africa simply do not have the fiscal headroom to respond with the type of massive stimulus package that we've seen in many Asian or European countries. Which economies are you most concerned about? So I think the short answer perhaps to start is that nobody wins. Um, we, we've seen growth forecasts being revised and revised downwards uh, in the last few days. The, you know, we started the year at around 3% growth predicted for 2020 on average. We're now a lot closer to zero and potentially the, the continent as a whole could enter recession in 2020. So nobody wins, but really oil exporters are going to be particularly badly hit because not only there is a slowdown in, in economic activity, but there is also that oil price drop that is hitting really hard at their main source of revenue, at their main source of foreign exchange earnings. We're concerned with Nigeria. Uh, Nigeria is struggling to sell their oil cargoes even for April, even with significant discounts uh, on their standard prices. They were already battling a, a difficult economic situation at the start of the year. And we have seen the, the foreign exchange reserves dropping rapidly, the currency being under severe pressure. Um, it's already led to sharp budget cuts, an adjustment in the official exchange rates of the Naira. Uh, but we really see that exchange rate continuing to depreciate in the next few weeks, potentially trending to a, a record high of 400 to the dollar. In Angola, the situation is as difficult um, because of the same dependency on, on oil and gas revenues. Um, and some of the smaller oil producers of Central Africa tend to be equally hard affected, probably even more so, because in those places, oil and gas is even more critical. Economic diversification hasn't made the same progress. And the oil revenue also is, is key to maintaining political stability. I think what's particularly sad, I suppose, is, is the timing of this. Africa has had a difficult few years of pretty stagnant growth, and in some countries like Namibia and Angola, which you mentioned, uh, recession. Angola, indeed, is, has had four consecutive years of concession, and 2020 was supposed to be the year of its recovery. 
but those hopes have now uh, been dissipated. South Africa as well has had a pretty stagnant economy for a long time, uh, and there were hopes that it would start to gradually recover. But of course, South Africa is one of the most globally connected of all sub-Saharan African countries, and the shutting down of borders and travel restrictions that have been put in place have, have really hurt it. So we have the kind of potential for widespread outbreaks, uh, and we have the restrictions on people's livelihoods, even if those are, are proving difficult to enforce in some countries, and of course, wider economic challenges and hopes for economic recovery this year in some countries being dashed. And this is sounding like a combination that, that could prompt a, a fair amount of anger among electorates. You, your main focus is on West Africa, and you've helped guide clients before through the Ebola outbreak, which you mentioned in 2014 to, to 16. And I know that there were some security concerns there. What should clients, especially those with personnel in some of these countries, be concerned about not just in terms of the, the medical aspect, but in terms of the security threats that this could bring. So when Ebola hit um, Liberia, Sierra Leone and Guinea in 2014, 2015, uh, we saw some of those quarantine measures prove rather unpopular and, and prompt a backlash um, in some of those neighborhoods. Um, we are watching closely to see if the same resistance to those restrictions will, will happen again this time. Um, we have already seen some incidents of unrest, um, sometimes linked to the police, enforcing those restrictions with, with too much zeal and, and carrying out abuses in the process, um, but also linked to some religious gatherings. And, and we'll be watching particularly closely as Easter approaches, as Ramadan approaches, whether some of these you know, traditionally very large gatherings um, could, could actually trigger some unrest if the governments are trying, are maintaining bans on, on um, people congregating for the occasion. Um, in Niger, in Nigeria, we've already seen some incidents when um, imams in some, in some cities defied government bans. Um, they were arrested and as a result, there were protests. And in one case, a police station was torched in the process. Um, so this is the kind of incidents that, that we are monitoring in the next few weeks. A, a pandemic, it's also an environment that's rife for misinformation. And another aspect that we will be tracking closely is any incidents of, of anti-foreigner sentiment uh, that might affect some of the organizations we're working with. Um, the level of, of anti-foreigner sentiment will probably vary by country, depending on whether that was an issue before the outbreak, but also depending how the virus spread to the country in the first place, whether it was brought by foreigners or by, by local nationals. Um, without overplaying this threat, we have seen some isolated incidents um, and, and really some of our clients should be prepared for their staff in, in those cities maybe being accused um, of spreading the virus and, and facing some rather uncomfortable moments. I think it's really important to be monitoring these situations, especially with regards to misinformation and how that can translate into security threats as well. I mean, even if you look outside Sub-Saharan Africa to Europe and the US, we're seeing cases reported of 5G engineers being attacked because of rumors that 5G is somehow linked to COVID-19. And 
it actually what you're talking about there reminds me of stories from previous years of health workers being attacked in Malawi and Mozambique, uh, often on the suspicion that they were vampires uh, or there to steal people's blood. Uh, and these rumors are very difficult to predict before they actually start because they are you're not obviously based in reality. Um, but when they do emerge, they can really change the threat environment and, and pose new and kind of unexpected risks. It's also misinformation is a problem in, in countries where governments are perhaps not trusted uh, and the information that they put out is not trusted. And looking at this political nexus, we do have 10 national elections coming up in sub-Saharan Africa this year. The first one being the second round of the Malawian, uh, sorry, the Malian legislative elections on the 19th of April. Um, but then going on, we have Burundi, Cote d'Ivoire, Burkina Faso, etc. Only one of these has so far been postponed, which is Ethiopia. It's election scheduled for the 29th of August. Are there any other elections that could be delayed? And if so, when it comes in this context of COVID-19, what does this mean for political stability, especially in countries where governments aren't trusted or where the legitimacy of the government is already in question? You're right. I think you know this pandemic is going to interfere with a with a really busy election cycle um, in Africa this year. That was a record year already. Um, so Ethiopia is already delayed, and so far uh, this seems to have been broadly accepted by the political class. Um, but if the electoral commission doesn't move quickly to announce a new date, I think this is potentially where we could see a bit of controversy. Um, this is the only election that has been officially postponed, but obviously that crisis means there is now a cloud hanging over most of them, um, perhaps less so for those at the end of the year because they will have a few more months um, to prepare and, and hopefully for the for the virus to pass away. Um, in any case, a crisis like this means that those elections, the preparations to those elections will be politicized uh, and the response to the virus is also going to be politicized. So to give you an example, Ghana uh, a few days ago suspended voter registration um, to spread contagion, to, to prevent the spread of contagion. Um, and the opposition was very quick to denounce the, the measure as a, as a cover-up uh, by the government to uh, enable themselves to stay in power longer. So this is the kind of controversy that we're likely going to see whether or not elections are delayed. Um, and I think in general, and it's not just around elections, but there are few governments in the region that will emerge from this uh, without risks to their popularity or even to their stability. Um, we talked about some of the Central African governments and in those places the combination of um, inflation, frozen projects, spending cuts, that could have a detrimental effect on the, the stability of some of those um, older regimes that have been around for a long time now. Um, we're also watching for the possible wildcard, you know, what if the virus strikes at the heart of government? There are a lot of countries where succession mechanisms in the event that a president gets incapacitated, those succession mechanisms, they've never been tested, um, or the, the succession mechanism that's laid down on paper uh, probably wouldn't really stand the test of reality because of the, the, income, the, 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 the constitutional succession not being legitimate, for example. Um, that is a real risk. Um, and I think in general, that's something that we'll be you know, following really closely in the, in the next few months.
in the short term, the Malawian presidential elections scheduled for the 2nd of July are probably one to watch quite closely. These are rerun elections after the Constitutional Court annulled the results of the presidential elections held in May 2019 due to evidence of vote rigging. Now, the Constitutional Court ruling came after almost a year of pretty frequent and large-scale protests. And so these rerun elections are already being held in a pretty tense political environment. And there is no doubt, really, that if President Mutarika tries to delay these elections, no matter how sensible that delay may be in terms of reducing the risk of COVID-19 transmission, that will be perceived by some civil society and opposition groups as an attempt by him to unconstitutionally stay in office. And that's likely to prompt protests uh, and a lot of political tension and demonstrations despite the social uh, distancing measures that have been put in place and the restrictions on public gathering that are in place. Please do visit controlrisk.com forward slash COVID-19 to read more of our analysis and find out how we are helping clients navigate this crisis. And please do reach out with any specific concerns. Until then, I'm Barnaby Fletcher, and thank you all for listening to this podcast from Control Risks. If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of In Focus, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen. And be sure to subscribe to our other podcasts as well, such as The Global Insight, our fortnightly panel discussion exploring the impact of the most pressing issues on global business. All of our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we are helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com.